Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. In this episode, I'm speaking with Tony Ulwick, author of the book Jobs To Be Done, which is a concept resonating with progressive learning and development teams at present. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others to find us, and thank you if you've done so already. Now, let's get into it. Tony, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. David, thanks for inviting me. I appreciate it. Um, now, Tony, you're author of the book, Jobs to be Done, which greatly informs approaches I advocate for learning and development in order to address real problems, gain sustained engagement in digital learning, and make a demonstrable difference to employees and organizations. Could you start off by summarizing to us the theory and practice of Jobs to be Done, please? Oh, absolutely. I, the theory is pretty straightforward. I think the practice is where we'll spend more of our time talking about. Mm -hmm. um, the theory is quite simple. Uh, people buy products and services to get jobs done. And um, what that means is that the goal of the organization or anyone creating products and services should be to help get those jobs done better and more cheaply. That, that's really the essence of all of it. But then you have to figure out, well, how do I do that, right? How do I get a job done better and more cheaply? Well, this is where uh, the practice comes into play. So uh, the, the, you know, when you think about creating products and services to get a job done better, better generally means faster, more predictably, uh, better results so that you're consistent in achieving what you're going to achieve. Like even in education, uh, you can go through uh, the education process, you can get through it quickly, you can get through it predictably, but it may not lead to the desired result. Mm. Right? So you really have to uh, focus on on all three. And what we learned is that uh, as people uh, go about and get these jobs done, there's a set of metrics they're using to, to judge success. Mm. We can take it out of the realm of uh, education for a minute. It's just like cooking a meal, for example, uh, you know, if if things go wrong, you'd say, wow, uh, I overcooked that meal, right? Mm -hmm. So an outcome may be, I want to minimize the likelihood of overcooking a meal or um, undercooking it or cooking it unevenly or the time it takes to complete cooking it or so on. There's, there's a set of metrics you use to say, well, that, that job was executed perfectly or it wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. Now, the thought is, if we could figure out in advance, what are all the different metrics people use to judge success when getting the job done and figure out, well, where are they struggling to get the job done? Then you can help them get the job done better. Mm. Also, if you know all the metrics they're using to measure success and you can figure out where they're overserved, meaning they're already really satisfied, but you're spending a lot of money on something that doesn't matter that much, like adding the six blade to a you know, razor, then mm -hmm. <laughs> it's, it's time to stop investing there and invest in some other part of uh, the job execution. So it's getting that fine balance. And I, I think the theory is really all about understanding customer needs at a extremely granular level, mm. uh, focusing the entire organization around a common understanding of needs so that uh, everyone's pushing in the same direction to create customer value. Mm. Okay, that's, that's interesting. And to bring that to life, could you share with us some different ways organizations that you work with use jobs to be done to, uh, to innovate and grow? Sure. So, uh, you know, we have companies that use the process to enter 
new markets, markets they haven't been in or markets that haven't even existed. Uh, so one example is with Kroll Ontrack, who was entering the electronic evidence discovery business. So this was back in the early 2000s. And they failed at their first two attempts. And one of the key reasons was they were misguided on who their customer was and what that job was that they were trying to execute. They felt like the IT department and these large organizations were their customer. And they could go to these organizations and take data off hard drives and use that data in uh, legal cases. Turns out the real customer is the legal team and they're trying to find data that would support or to refute a case. Mm -hmm. So while Kroll uh, was very good at taking data off hard drives, they, they didn't make it searchable. So it was useless to the legal team. Once they realized the job of the legal team, they said, oh, okay, let's add some searchability function in here and, um, and make it uh, construct it in such a way that it can get their job done, mm. which, which they did, became very successful. They were still a leader in that space. So that's one example. But most of the companies that we work with are just trying to improve their position in a market that they're already in or enter a market that's fully established. Like we helped uh, Bosch, for example, enter the North American circular cell market. And they came to us and said, we want to create a high-end brand uh, that's positioned against DeWalt and Makita, but we want to deliver at the same price point. So we want to create more value, same price. So what we had to look for was a segment of, of users that were struggling to get the job done in some unique way. And as you might imagine, most of the market views the circular saw as a commodity. Everything's very satisfied. Mm. But we did discover a segment that was about a third of the market that had uh, 14 unmet needs that nobody else had. And the reason was they were making more complicated cuts, lengthy cuts, angle cuts. So they had four, uh, 14 unmet needs that nobody else had. That became their focal point. So they came up with solutions that would address those needs, target it at that segment, and they did it in such a way that it didn't cost any more than the uh, competing solutions. Mm. So that was their you know, top selling circuit saw in North America for about 10 years. So those are a couple examples. But um, in addition, companies also use the approach to improve existing processes. Mm. Um, as, as you might imagine, it's pretty much the same thinking, right? But here your customers are internal. You know, how do you improve HR? How do you improve CRM practices? How do you improve testing on the manufacturing line? Uh, they all follow uh, a similar pattern. Mm. Uh, so we've been very successful at that as well with companies such as uh, the medicines company that applied it not only to their products, but a lot of their inward-facing uh, business processes as well. Mm. And I think when you go, when you think of it like that, that's using this thinking at scale, right? Using it to enter new markets, using it to improve markets, using it to improve business processes. That's what innovation is all about. So if you're trying to transform your company through innovation, applying it in all these different areas makes great sense. Mm. And if you, the... In the example you used there with, uh, with Bosch uh, and to, uh, to relate it to, uh, to my listeners here on, uh, in, in terms of re um, learning and development and HR, uh, by, by innovating because you're seeking to understand the jobs to be done of the people that you're selling to. And in, in our regard, it's, the, it's the, the learners or the employees within um, the, the organization trying to figure out what they are trying to do and, 
and getting straight to them to figure that out rather than just focusing on the process or the policies uh, or the the products right so uh, so in, certainly in learning and development terms those products could be say programs or e-learning by focusing on the jobs to be done we more efficiently seek to to engage and affect what it is that they're trying to do and i think engagement is is such a key part in learning and development because there we can struggle sometimes to get enough interest in what we do especially when it comes to e-learning you know we've got instructional designers creating the fanciest possible uh, e-learning it's educationally sound it's entertaining um but people just won't go to it they just won't use it and i think a lot of the time is because it's you know we base it on a premise of we need you to know this but of course that's counter to jobs to be done am i right that's exactly right. Uh, there's multiple players that you need to consider in your space. Uh, and so let's go through some of them. So you, you're talking about uh, the learner, the, we'll call them the business professional, for example. Um, what are they trying to do? You know, when you look at it through their lens, are they trying to read something or go through a program? Um, just because they've been told to, <laughs> they, they might be, and maybe that's why they don't want to do it, right? Yeah. But they they do have a job to be done. You know, they may be trying to prepare for the next stage in their career, or maybe they're trying to prepare to successfully execute the current role. Mm. Th those are jobs that they're trying to get done. And when you put it in that vernacular, of course, you say, well, what is their current role? Well, what do they have to do to be successful in that current role? And that gives you some hint as to, what the, the the program should be about and what mm. they should be taught and those kind of things but you also have uh, like the corporate learning chief or learning officer and they have a different job you know mm. than the learners right they're trying to develop management leadership skills of employees so they can have the right people in the right seats at all times so that's a whole different flow right mm. if you started breaking that job down that's that looks nothing like uh the view of the business professional who's trying to prepare for the next stage in their career mm. now now then you have uh higher education uh teachers or educators as well uh, whose job is to educate the students or help them consume the information you could argue that maybe you don't need teachers if you do everything online but there's a consumption element to that like you've, you've created a program and you're trying to help the uh, learners, business professionals consume it. Mm. And so they're responsible in, in, in a way to help them consume it so that the job goes predictably and achieves the best result. And you can go further too, if you want, you can say, well, there's authors who are authoring materials. They're trying to get a job done. They're trying to disseminate their ideas and practices and the way they look at this is very different than anyone else that we just talked about, right? Mm. And then, of course, you may have higher education administrators uh, that uh, are trying to advance teaching practices and, and create the curriculums that will be effective at getting jobs done for all the folks we just talked about. So I think it's really important to just break it apart like that and understand that there's different customers who are trying to get different jobs done. And this is what makes education so complicated mm. <laughs> is that there are multiple stakeholders in it for different reasons. And, um, you know, ultimately you have to create value for the business professional because they're the ones who are truly, you know, that's why the, re the, the market exists, right? Mm. To help them either advance to the next stage in their career, prepare successfully to execute in their current role or whatever else they may say is their, their core job.
But breaking out like that uh, is important. Uh, we often use a model that says uh, there's three types of customers. The job executor, that's the person using the product to get a job done. The product lifecycle support team, they help with the consumption of the product. Mm -hmm. And then the purchase decision maker, they're the ones deciding which ones to buy for various reasons. Mm -hmm. So they each play different roles. They each are getting different jobs done. And understanding the distinctions is absolutely critical. And satisfying all of them is the key to success. Yeah, it's, what you just described there is it resonates so much. I mean, um, uh, in the work that I do, we engage with the the purchaser, uh, and the purchaser is looking to make a sound decision for on behalf of the the business professional, the the, the actual consumer. But in the absence of the analysis, without with the absence of jobs to be done of the the end user, what usually happens is the most engaging solutions are selected. But Tony, the, the contradiction there is that it's still not engaged with. And you know why, and I know why. It's because it doesn't actually help with a job to be done. It's created to engage rather than to actually be useful. But I'd love to get into the, to the nitty gritty, into the nuts and bolts, again, because this is going to be a, a new concept for, for a lot of uh, our listeners. Now, I love the phrase you use to reframe how to view a situation. You say, customers aren't buyers, they are job executors. We've, you said you say uh, business professionals uh, here. In the context of learning and development, we can replace a couple of words. So employees aren't learners. As you said, they're business performers. In both contexts, what does that mean for our endeavor to help and support them? So if we do that reframe, they're not, in, they're not, they're not learners, they're business performers. Yeah, uh, it's all perspective, right? What we're trying to do is, you know, we're, we're putting a new lens on the situation. And as I mentioned, you know, once you lay that lens on the different players, you see things through their eyes, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, you know, the, the buyers, uh, the purchasers of these products, they're trying to get a job done. And they may not know all the needs of the job executors, mm -hmm. right? So they're making assumptions. In most organizations, we... Some of the basic things we learn is that there's no agreement on what a need even is. Mm. And the, the customer's needs are not well known. The unmet needs are poorly defined. Yet people are trying to come up with solutions that address unmet needs. Mm. It's a, it's That's why innovation is so unpredictable. But if you can apply this lens and take the time to understand at a very granular level what all those unmet needs are, then you can create solutions that will resonate with those customers. So again, you know, uh, th this reframe I think is, is critical in the sense that uh, em employees are the business professionals, as you said, trying to prepare for the next stage in, in their career. Mm. And thinking of them as learners, like just people who just consume your material versus uh, employees who are trying to prepare for the next stage in, in their career, uh, it makes all the difference in the world. The two mm. totally different jobs. So, again, just thinking about it through the lens of uh, each of those key customers uh, is is th the start of all this, right? And then, of course, you have to figure out, well, what are those metrics they use to measure success and which ones are underserved and how do we create a better solution? But uh, this provides a framework for answering all those questions. You mentioned there about uh, about needs and another um 
lens that I like that uh, that, that you use is that uh, needs aren't vague, latent, and unknowable. They are the metrics customers use to measure success when getting a job done. Now, L&D can be lax in its adoption of data and evidence-based practice to recognize and understand real needs. We've been too quick to translate actual needs into learning needs in order to develop a course or a program. How is the jobs to be done approach related to understanding the work and the results expected or required? Well, you're on a great point. I think this is really the key to all of this. Uh, and as I mentioned, uh, there's really a big misunderstanding about what a customer need even is. And, and, and I think a lot of this goes back to um, some quotes that I've heard for years, uh, the Henry Ford quote, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Mm. And Steve Jobs says, you know, if people don't know what they want until you show it to them. Well, people walk away from those statements thinking, well, needs are vague. You know, customers can't articulate their needs. They have latent needs, which is dangerous in my mind to think that because what you're saying is, well, because customers don't know their needs or can't articulate them, uh, let's just come up with ideas and build them and try them out to see which ones work best. So in other words, it forces people from a needs first approach to innovation back into an ideas first approach to innovation, mm. which is extremely inefficient. When you think about the ideas first approach, it's, it's okay, let's try something, build it, put it out there, refine it, bring it back, test it, refine it, test it with customers. But each time you're going through that iteration, what you're doing is you're just learning more about the customer's needs. Mm. And so this is a really slow, painful, expensive way to understand customer needs. And so uh, our thought is, well, let's just flip this around, right? Let's let's spend the time up front understanding the needs as it relates to the job they're trying to get done. So again, uh, we build out these need sets that go they're generally 100 outcomes or more is what we call them desired outcome statements that are quite literally the metrics people use to measure success when getting the job done. Mm. And uh, taking the time to do that uh, is it's worth its weight in gold because uh, jobs are stable over time. And so are these metrics. So once you understand how people are measuring value in the space that you're in, uh, you can start using that data for years to come to help guide your innovation initiatives and so on. Much like Kroll did, uh, Kroll on track in that story, they used that same data set for 10 years mm. and quite literally went from the top unmet need down to the bottom unmet need to address them in a very systematic fashion, which made it really hard for anyone else to catch up to them as well, because they were always focused on the next thing that was going to create the most value for the customer. And that's what needs to be done uh, here as well. I think that, uh, that from so much of, uh, of what you're saying here, the lens is critical. Um, you know, I'd, I've heard that, you know, the criticism uh, aligned to, uh, to Henry Ford, uh, Henry Ford's quote, um, you, you hear, and the conversation generally goes in learning and development circles that people don't know what they need to learn. Right. So, and then again, the, the lenses of a learner, but, um, and then you, you know, you ask people what they want to learn and they say, Oh, um, I'd like to go on an Excel course. You know, they say, yeah. I'd like to learn, um, critical thinking. Yeah. You know, so, so, so that's a learning conversation, but if you have, have a conversation with people of 
what is it that you're trying to do? Like, what what is it that 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 your job requires you to do, and the results that you're that you're trying to get? You have you have a conversation with a business performer about their work and what they're accountable for, and generally you get a very different type of conversation. And I think that's where our profession is kind of split. And you've got these two camps. You've got people who want to create better learning, and then you've got people who want to actually affect the work and uh, address some of the inefficiencies uh, of that that the, the business performer is actually experiencing as they transition into and through their organization via getting better and faster at the job that they're doing and improving their prospects for uh, for career growth. Um, but a criticism of, uh, of emerging approaches to learning and development beyond classroom and facilitated training is that we can't control and don't know if people have learned what we want them to. Um, and I think this is dangerous ground because of the gap between delivery of content and actual comprehension, let alone transfer back to the job. But you talk about jobs to be done, offering a new framework and lens through which we can take our understanding of customer needs to the next level and bring predictability to innovation. So how is predictability possible in this uh, in uh, this context? Well, predictability is possible because um, you're knowing in advance of of creating the solution you're going to create that it's going to deliver more value to the customer. Now, mm. how do you how do you know that? And how could how is that knowable? Well, you have to know all the metrics people are going to use to measure the value of your program. This ties back to the job to be done. And once you understand what they are and which ones are unmet, that's when ideation begins. Then you can come up with solutions that better address those unmet needs. And education has been around for a long time. And these new electronic platforms have been around for a while as well. Um, and uh, David, as you mentioned uh, earlier, uh, maybe that's not the entire solution. Mm. You know, maybe to get the entire job done, we need something that sits outside that platform. Mm. Or maybe it's additional subsystems that can be added to that platform. Well, once you know what those unmet needs are, you can make those decisions and then you can say, okay, uh, here's the, just like Bosch did, right? Here's the 14 unmet needs. Yeah. Here's a solution that addresses that one. Here's a solution that addresses this one. And you go down your list and say, well, we've come up with a concept that will address all those 14 unmet needs. Mm. Well, is that going to work? Is that going to win in the market? Yes, it is, because you know that you're focused on the 14 unmet needs, not the 80 other needs that are already well satisfied or overserved. Mm. So it's it's really that simple. But I think uh, what people don't recognize is that innovation is a science, right? You don't have to guess at this. And the reason they don't realize that is because they can't agree on what a need is. Mm. And that's where we spent you know, 30 years just really fine tuning these outcome statements, you know, minimize the time it takes to do X in this context, minimize the likelihood of this bad thing happening in this context. You know, by understanding how people are measuring value as they go about and get the job done, we can bring that predictability to innovation. Mm. What I found is that uh, the, the, the more um, experience um, our our customers get with jobs to be done, the more time they spend in the discovery or the analysis phase. Because in learning and development, we want to jump to the solution. You know, as you say, is the ideation. So if we get if we've got an idea, let's execute on the idea and let's see to what extent we get engagement in the idea. But if you're reframing and you're looking to actually affect the job to be done, then you will spend longer in discovery because it's far less risky and more efficient to be addressing. Um, more pointedly, something that you know is both a problem 
and how that's being experienced than one where you haven't done the analysis and you're just seeking engagement, which is nigh on impossible if you don't understand the problem that, uh, that is being experienced in the context of the job to be done. That's exactly right. And what often happens is you'll see incremental innovations take place because someone will stumble, stumble along in unmet need. They'll realize, oh, yeah, I, 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 picked, I, found, I found a problem. I got it. And then they'll go work on that problem and address it in the next iteration of the product. And maybe it gets the job done a little bit better. But that's just incremental improvement. The reality can be there might be 30 unmet needs sitting there and you just found one of them. Right. So while there's opportunity for a breakthrough innovation, if you if you were to know all 30 of it needs and address all of them, they're just discovering them one at a time. Mm. And progress becomes very slow and incremental. And it's it looks like more sustaining innovation as opposed to anything radical or breakthrough uh, when the opportunity is sitting right there for the breakthrough innovation all the time. Mm. So uh, I, I think that's the situation here as well. But the, the work has to be done to understand all these critical functions. You know, we did some work with uh, Dell uh, and their education team, gosh, probably 10 years ago now. And this was with uh, parents, teachers, uh, and students. Mm. And generally, they have the same job, which is to prepare the student for successful life. Uh, that's what the students are trying to do. That's what the parents are trying to help them do. And that's what the teachers are trying to help them do as well. And uh, you mentioned something here earlier, which I found interesting. Uh, you know, this, this gap between delivery of content and actual comprehension. Mm. One of the big discoveries we had there is one of the, the biggest summit needs uh, of all three is that people forget what they learn. Mm -hmm. So just imagine this, right? You're going through this process for years and uh, you, you get an educator along so many different fronts and you don't remember any of this stuff. Mm. So what good is it, right? So uh, if, if you're trying to think through an innovation, um, you know, how do you get people to remember what you're teaching them? Mm. So it even goes beyond comprehension, right? If you got to comprehend it, you got to remember it and be able to put it to practice at the right times in your career and so on. So I, I just thought I'd toss it in there because I, I found that to be a pretty remarkable uh, fact. Yeah, and um, we, we've got some, uh, some, uh, some pretty strongly revered um, uh, experts in our field, Goffreson and Mosher, Conrad Goffreson and Bob Mosher, who always say that, uh, that you want to get as close to the point of need as you possibly can in order to influence the moment of apply. So they, don't, they, they will advocate... Um, learning in the flow of work so what resources can you provide people where they are experiencing an unfamiliar challenge or a situation so that you can actually affect the work there and then so you're not actually uh, relying on memory you are just you're creating a trigger or a useful guidance and support there and you work backwards um, from the moment of need and then right at the end if anything else is required you may lean on education but it's yeah. the last resort because for what you just said there you can't rely on people to remember so take the predictability out although the the unreliability out and um, and aim for predictability I love that concept, and I think that works uh, exceptionally well in the business context when mm. people are working to get jobs done. But if you're thinking K through 12 and that kind of situation, yeah. which is what we studied, uh, they're not working on their jobs, right? They're not, they're not thinking about workflows. They're just 
getting dumped on with facts and figures and things that should help them in the future. But it's a, it's a nice way to rethink that uh, that situation. And, uh, and, and Tony, how would you see jobs to be done being applied to the priorities of company training, say, for example, with employee or customer onboarding or preparing and supporting newly promoted managers? Or we hear um, uh, quite a lot about um, skills development as well. How, how do you see jobs to be done helping the, the learning and development professional um, inspire and, um, and uh, enable change there? Well, uh, they're all different jobs, right? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're all different jobs that um, have different job steps, different outcomes associated with them. And, um, you know, it's not a one size fits all situation, right? So um, I think Jobs Be Done helps in that it allows you to really fine tune uh, what you're trying to do for each situation. Uh, one may require more traditional education than others. So, you know, what, some of these jobs may uh, require some non-traditional approaches, like, as you mentioned earlier, right? It's, it's not all about online learning. Uh, it's not all about watching videos. There may be other factors that come into play that are uh, you know, more effective in helping actually uh, you know, execute these jobs, like with customer onboarding, for example. So, uh, you know, I, Understanding each job individually is really the key to success. Instead of coming up with a broad brush program that says, here's our education program and it's general, um, you know, and it doesn't get any of the jobs done. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, I think of that with a, uh, a more focused approach is exactly what's needed. Mm. So, so in that, uh, that, that with, with any particular cohort, say with new starters or new managers, find out what it is that they are trying to do at the outset and then help them to efficiently and effectively do those jobs, which is going to be different, say, in week one or week two, maybe week three or month, month two and so on. There are going to be uh, uh, just different jobs but different, different experiences, but kind of helping people along the way, primarily with what they are trying to do as opposed to what again what we would like them to know which you know language yeah. i would use has no hooks the whole we need you to know this you know it's on a bare wall there are no hooks for for you know that, that you can hang that on but understanding yeah. the jobs provides you with the hooks to say ah but this is this this is the stuff that's going to help you in that context yeah that's exactly right so instead of saying you need to know this they're saying um what i really need to know is this yeah. <laughs> and and uh, you know listening to it from their perspective is is of course the key to success. Yeah. Um, now, part of the problem with learning and development is that we seek opportunities to design and deliver training courses. Now, whether that be in-person, virtual or e-learning, but without understanding enough of the actual challenges being experienced by those we seek to influence and who need our help. Needless to say, so much time, money and effort is wasted on programs and technology that makes so little difference. So how would you identify opportunities for improving performance with jobs to be done? So following the approach, we call this the outcome-driven innovation process. Mm -hmm. uh, it's generally a five-step approach, but the first step is to define your job executor and their job to be done. The second step is to uncover all the metrics they're using to measure success, generally 100 or more. Mm -hmm. The third step is to have them prioritize them and to tell you which ones are most important and not well satisfied. This will give you your priorities in terms of where you should focus first in order to help create more value for that population. The fourth step is um, interesting in that not everybody is the same. In other words, 
people may not agree on which needs are unmet. So you may have you know, 100 managers going through a program. They may, you know, half of them may say, here's what I think is you know, most underserved. And the other half going, no, I think it's this over here. Mm-hmm. So what that suggests is that, you know, you have to be flexible in the delivery so that you can satisfy needs from different groups of people. Mm-hmm. All right. So once you understand what those different segments are and why they're underserved along different dimensions, um, you you can help better serve them as well. Mm-hmm. And then the fifth step is then now that once you know all that, now you can put your your strategy together. You can say, okay, for this group, we're going to deliver um, you know this solution that's com- comprised of these components, targeted at addressing these ten unmet needs, and and so on. So it becomes very prescriptive, predictive, mm-hmm. as we talked about before. And uh, it's very systematic. Like I said, innovation uh, is a science when you apply this lens to the the process. Yeah, it sounds as if uh, when you, when you go straight to the people that you're seeking to influence along the way, because you recognise that there is a critical point of failure somewhere, then yeah. you will you can have a conversation with them about the jobs to be done. Which again, you know, I made the point earlier. It's so much different from um, trying to engage them in a conversation about learning needs, because again, in our profession, a lot of learning needs, and I'll, I'll use air quotes there, are uh, are determined by managers or leaders who aren't accountable for the role or the performance and it's so easy from afar to say what you think is actually required and too often management and leadership development programs or you know or employee development programs are built based on minimal observation and the weighting of the individuals who have said that there is training actually required and you add you throw into the mix for the uh, for the holy trinity best practice you know you've got you could be developing expensive programs that don't hit any mark because it's all based on assumptions and that that minimal observation and it's often not uh, the the people that we seek to influence aren't engaged until a pilot program is delivered to them so so by that stage you're 90% down the line and you've only just engaged with the people who are accountable for the jobs to be done and your solution again in, in, in inverted commas isn't to address, isn't going to help with the jobs to be done because we don't know the jobs to be done yeah, it's it's a ideas first approach to innovation, and it's not only in learning and development. So uh, rest assured, you're in great company. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, there there is a better way. Uh, you know, I think people are just inherently uh, excited about finding solutions and creating things, uh, and it's easier to do that than it is to understand customers' problems and needs. Mainly because there's no agreed on definition of what a need is mm. right? and people walk around thinking well customers have latent needs they don't know their needs so if they don't know their needs let me just come up with a solution and see if they like this and <laughs> um, that's that's the uh, the old approach yeah and um you know we, we're talking here a lot about uh, about learning development have you got any examples of any organizations you've worked with who've successfully applied jobs to be done to either company training or reskilling efforts well we applied uh, jobs to be done to uh, an organization, MyTech, uh, in the construction space that um, used jobs to be done to learn and train their people on jobs to be done, right. uh, which was quite interesting. So, uh, you know, we looked at what is the job of the organization in terms of, you know, building their internal innovation capabilities, and um, and we worked with them to create a solution that helped them do exactly that. And uh, to 
no surprise probably to you, David, it wasn't all just education, mm. right? It, it wasn't just the e-learning courses, right? There was more to it than that. Uh, you know, in terms of practical application and applying it to specific problems and being there with the answers when they needed them. Uh, so, you know, we, we worked on all that uh, to help them create that program. And of course, we learned how to create that program as well uh, in doing so. But uh, yeah, it was, it was very fun, very successful. Brilliant. Um, and as we look to, uh, to wrap up, Tony, if the listener likes what they've heard today and wants to experiment with jobs to be done um, and the approach with their L&D practice, how would you recommend they get started? Well, it's, um, you know, it's a mindset change. So I think the first thing to do is to read a little bit about the approach so you can start learning the vocabulary and how all the pieces fit together and have that shift from an ideas first approach to a needs first approach to innovation. Mm -hmm. And uh, you can do that by downloading a, a book uh, at jobs to be done book.com mm -hmm. with hyphens in between each. We made it extra complicated. So jobs hyphen. <laughs> To yeah, um, and there's a, a free ebook there. There's a free audio book there as well. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also lots of materials um, on our website at strategian.com, mm -hmm. and I have a Medium account as well that has uh, a lot of my uh, personal thoughts and feelings sitting over there. Maybe in a little less professional way, but kind of fun. Uh, uh, that uh, you can learn about this stuff as well. Wonderful. Tony, we'll put uh, the links to those in the show notes. Uh, and finally, okay. then, if uh, people wish to connect with you, how can they do so? Well, they can reach me directly at Ulwick at strategen.com. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Uh, well, Tony, that's been hugely enlightening. Thank you uh, very much for being a guest on the Learning Development Podcast. David, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Jobs to be done is a valuable lens in which to see our value and potential in learning and development, but also a way of guaranteeing engagement and more predictably achieving results. I can't recommend enough you explore some more from the links in the show notes. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning and connect on LinkedIn for which you'll find links in the show notes. And goodbye for now.